Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. We started this series, as I mentioned, a few weeks ago, and there are really four main themes, or you could even call them sub-themes, that are woven through the Gospels, and specifically right here in the book of Matthew, that I believe will help us to understand more quickly what is going on in this narrative book, in this Gospel account. So I'm going to throw them up on the screen here. I went over these a couple of weeks ago, but again, just kind of by way of review and recap, four main themes in the book of Matthew. First of all, you have the story of Israel. We are not detaching the Old Testament from the New Testament. God began a story in the Old Testament with his covenant chosen people that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. That is continuing. That's picking up where it left off. And it's important to understand. Otherwise, you're going to miss some really important things in the book of Matthew. If you don't understand that this is attached to a story that God was writing long before Matthew chapter 1. The second theme is that this is the story of Jesus as Israel's God. The Israel of the Old Testament, Yahweh promised that a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior, a Messiah would come. Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. The third theme is that this is the launching of God's renewed people. The gospel is laying the groundwork for the church. God's renewed people, not the exclusion of the Jews, but now the inclusion of the Gentiles. All people, all nations, all languages, all ethnicities now being invited into a relationship with God. And then the fourth theme is the clash of the kingdoms. And you will see all throughout the book of Matthew, there is a kingdom of darkness opposing the kingdom of light. And so I mention these because in today's paragraph, all four of these themes are just going to jump off the page. And if you'll look for them and identify them, you'll see them. And so today's paragraph in chapter 2, I'm entitling this message, Seeking the King. Seeking the King. So follow along with me if you would. We want our eyes on the Word. We want the Word of God that has been superintended by the Spirit of God to speak to us and to do the talking for us today. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read down through verse 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? But we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, that is a title, not a name, the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come And worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. If you're keeping notes and writing some things down, the big idea that sits over top of this text is this. Those who seek the king, find the king. Those who seek the king, find the king. If you're a parent or maybe a grandparent and you've ever played hide-and-seek with one of those young children, you're one of your children or maybe your grandchildren, when they're, especially when they're really young, you as an adult have a very significant advantage as you are playing hide-and-seek with that four-year-old or that five-year-old, right? First of all, when it's their turn to hide, either they hide in the same place over and over and over and over again, or they hide in the most obvious places. They like crawl up on the top of the couch and they put a blanket over themselves thinking that you're not going to be able to find them. And they think that because they can't see you, you can't see them. And so you do your thing, you count to 10 and you start to go look for them or all of a sudden you see where they are or maybe they're hiding behind a door and before you even get to where they are, they start giggling because they hear you coming and they blow their own cover. Or they jump out in front of you and say, surprise, like that wasn't the point. You were supposed to hide. I was supposed to find you. You have this unique advantage as an adult. And then when it's your turn, right, dads, when it's your turn, you're going to find the most inconspicuous spot that they didn't even know existed in your house. You're going to find that crawl space. You're going to somehow stuff yourself into the dryer. You're going to get between, you're going to get between like the refrigerator and the, the wall of the kitchen. You know, there's like that much space, but you're going to find a way to get in there. And then you have this, you have this tolerance for patience and waiting that they don't have. You're just going to wait until they go to bed. You're just not even going to give them the pleasure of finding you. You have this significant advantage as an adult when you play hide and seek with those little kids. If I could offer to you this morning as a follower of Jesus... You have a significant advantage when you are seeking God. And it's that God wants to be found. That is your advantage. He wants to be found. Now, just as soon as I say that, some of you are sitting here thinking, but why don't I see what he's doing? Why can't, why can't I find him in my life? You're maybe going through a season of waiting and you, you, you are just, you're, you're hoping for this time to be over in your life. Or you're going through a time of, of pain and you're looking for relief. Or you have doubts and you're looking for answers to your questions. And so you're thinking, John, you're telling me that God wants to be found and yet I don't know what he's doing and I can't see him in my life. But you have to understand that while God may appear to be hidden, that does not mean that he is hiding. You see, for God to be hidden, that just means that he's out of sight. But for God to be hiding, that means he is strategically trying to keep himself from you. And God is not hiding from you. Those who seek the king find the king. So as we get to our text this morning, we will find a very unlikely group of non-Jewish stargazers from a distant land in the east following what appears to be an astrological phenomenon in search of the Messiah King. And guess what? They're going to find him. They're going to find him. And so if you are here this morning and you, you are looking 
across your life and thinking, God, what are you doing? Where are you? I, don't, I can't see you. I want to encourage you this morning. Keep seeking the king. Because those who seek him find him. So the question we want to answer this morning is, how do we know we are seeking the king? If those who seek him find him, how do we know that we are those who are, in fact, seeking him? There are three ways that we know that we are seeking and ways that we can seek the king found right here in this narrative story in Matthew chapter 2. The outline is going to look like this. When I am seeking the king, number one, I recognize divine signposts. When I am seeking the king, I recognize divine signposts. Look at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew, the writer of this account, is dropping clues all along the way here. First of all, he mentions Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of David. And if you've been tracking with us for any, any number of weeks, you go back to the genealogy and you know that David is significant. David is the king to whom God made a promise, a covenant promise, that an eternal king would one day come and establish his kingdom. So Bethlehem is the city of David, and now the king that was promised is being born in that city. Then he says, in the days of Herod the king. We're going to come back to Herod in just a moment. But then he talks about these wise men from the east. Who are these guys? Where are they coming from? And what are they doing in Jerusalem? These wise men, or magi, as they're referred to in the original language, were originally a Persian priestly caste. But as time went on, it broadened in its explanation of who this group of people was. And these became experts in astrology, interpretations of dreams, and in secret arts. So this is a spiritually scientific group of intellects from really a pagan land in the foreign east. Where are they coming from? Well, it could have been Persia. It could have been the Arabian Desert. Many scholars believe that it was most likely Babylon. Babylon still had many Jews that lived in it. So as these magi saw this star, they would have been able to, to uh, ascertain and, and seek more knowledge and understanding about the prophecies related to this king of the Jews and then eventually travel to Jerusalem. And why are they coming to Jerusalem? Jerusalem's the capital city. It's the most obvious place to start if you don't ultimately know where you're going to end up. And God has shot up a flare into the sky. They said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here they are, this unlikely group of stargazers from a pagan far-off land have come and traveled a great distance to seek this king, not the one who would be born to be the king of the Jews, but the one who was born already king of the Jews. You know, God had already told his people that this would happen, that this scene of foreigners coming in response to this star. You know, if you read the Bible and think that it's just this series of disconnected stories, somebody's lying to you. There are dot connects all over as we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God had already told his people that this would happen. Isaiah 60 in verse 1. Consider this. 
Here the prophet Isaiah says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And then tell me if verse 3 doesn't sound familiar. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The irony that the Jewish religious people missed it. And yet the foreign stargazers did not. And while this prophecy was given to the Jews, it was these non-Jewish stargazers practicing what would have been a forbidden craft in Scripture are the first to see and recognize the sign while the the Jewish people continued in their spiritual slumber. Do you recognize God's signposts? When God's shooting a flare up in the sky to try to get your attention. When God's trying to get you to see himself or to go in a certain direction, do you recognize those signposts when God puts them in your life? If you're a 90s kid like, like I am, you'll remember Ace of Bass came out with the song, I Saw the Sign. Some of us are going to be singing that the rest of the day. I saw the sign. It opened up my eyes. I saw the sign, right? There's some wisdom in that, that song when it says life, uh, life is demanding without understanding. And so God is is providing this signpost for them to recognize and to see. And so because they saw the sign, they sought the Savior. And you know where the signposts always point? They always point to the king. They lead the wise. This sign will lead the wise men to the king. You might be thinking, John, could you just tell me what the sign is? Could you just tell me what God wants me to do with my life? Could you just kind of lay that out for me? Listen, I can't tell you exactly what God might have as the next step in your life, but here's what I can tell you. I can tell you how to posture and position your life in such a way so that when God needs to get your attention, he can. So that when God provides a signpost or shoots a flare up in the sky for you to see and recognize, I can tell you how to posture your life and position your life in such a way so that you will recognize God speaking to you. And here's here's what I would offer to you this morning. Here's how you can do this. Number one, get in the word. Number two, get on your knees. And number three, get with your people. Get in the word, get on your knees, and get with your people. Get in the Word. Why do I say that? Friends, this book is unlike any other book that you will ever read. It is a living book. The Spirit of God has breathed out these words for us. And so as you open this book, and it might be a little intimidating, you look at it and say, man, that's really thick, and those are really thin pages. But all God needs is just a phrase from a verse to speak to you. And I am happy to stand up here on Sunday mornings and I'm happy to bring a message that I have prepared and that I have studied for you. But listen, God wants to meet you on Monday morning. God wants to meet you where you are and speak to you through his word. And he has this unique way, this supernatural way of using his word to shoot up those flares and to send you in the direction that he desires for you to go. Get in his word. But then secondly, get on your knees. Someone once said, prayer is looking at what my eyes can't see. Are you seeking God? Does he appear to be hidden in your life? Spend time in his presence, unhurried. In two weeks, we're going to be launching our 24-hour prayer room right here on this campus. 
And I know some people are thinking, what did you guys do? Did you guys just like go into a closet, clean it out and put a chair in there? No, it's not just a closet. It is an entire room dedicated on this, on this campus for people to come anytime, day or night, to go in and to spend unhurried time with the king. And here's what I believe. That room has been designed not for us just to go in there and say, God, would you bless my day? Not just to go in there and say, God, would you give me some traveling mercies? Not just to say, Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. Not just these short one-off prayers, but to spend time in the presence of God. The entire room has been designed for you to spend at least an hour with God. And if many of us were honest, we would say, I don't, I don't know that there have been many times in my life when I've spent an hour in God's presence. So when we launch that room and we open it up, go in there, use it, and watch and listen as God speaks to you and ministers to your life as you spend unhurried time in his presence. Get in his word, get on your knees, and then get with your people. Do you have, do you have a people? You know what I'm talking about? Like get with your people. The people who are walking with Jesus, who know you better than anybody else knows you, who love you in ways that other people don't even know to love you, the people that pray for you, the people that can get up in your face when you need somebody to get up in your face because you have been deviating and wandering away, get with your people. I've got my people. My people meet in my living room at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday nights. Those are my people. And we study the word together and we pray together and we pray for one another together. And here's what happens. Sometimes when you don't know what God is doing, someone else is observing your life and saying, I think I see what God is doing. And so I can't tell you exactly what God might have next for your life, but I can tell you that as you get in the word and get on your knees and get with your people, God has this way of revealing himself to you and showing you exactly what he needs in your life and what should be next. Those seeking the king find the king because they learn to recognize divine signposts when God's trying to get their attention. Number two, when I am seeking the king, I refuse hypocritical godliness. I refuse hypocritical godliness. We find this in verse three of our text. When Herod the king heard this, this news from these wise men that the king of the Jews had been born. When Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They were troubled because he was troubled. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, this religious group, where the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet. And here they give a version of Micah 5.2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He's going to be a ruler unlike any other ruler. Not one who dominates, but one who shepherds. Herod was a pretty bad dude. You see it, glimpses of it in Scripture. Next week, we'll find him killing off all of the two-year-olds in all of Bethlehem because the wise men don't come back to tell him where the, the child was born. But history will tell us this is Herod the Great. He was a foreign king appointed by Rome to govern the Jewish people. So even though the Jewish people are now back in their promised land, they are still technically in exile because they are under foreign rule. He was wealthy. He was politically gifted, he was administratively savvy, he was intensely loyal to Rome, and he was absolutely obsessed with power. 
As a matter of fact, towards the end of his life, he, he became paranoid about that power to the point that he killed off some of his own associates, his wife, and two of his sons to protect that power, to make sure that somebody wasn't trying to get it from him. So you can imagine when a guy like Herod the Great hears word that the king of the Jews has been born. That's not a good thing in his mind. He wants to figure out who this guy is and take care of him. So first he consults the experts. This conglomeration of Jewish religious leaders, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, many believe this would have been the Pharisees and the Sadducees come together, who, by the way, they didn't even agree with each other. But Herod is here trying to make sure that he doesn't get misinformation from either one of them. And they share with him Micah 5, 2, that says, In Bethlehem is where this king of the Jews will be born. So then Herod goes back to the wise men in verse 7. Look at verse 7. But as the reader, we know that there are some masked intentions here. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. He just got that information from the religious Jews. He sends them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I can come and worship him too. So we, we get an idea what's going on here. We can kind of read through the lines here. We see what happened a couple of verses before and his frustration and his anger and now going to the Jewish leaders. But, but the wise men don't know what's going on. And so they go off to Bethlehem to find the one who was born king of the Jews. The word hypocrite in our English language comes from a Greek word that is a compound word. And the compound word, the two different words put together means to interpret from underneath. Now, we may not quite understand what that word is getting at until you understand that in Greek culture, a hypocrite was someone who was an actor in the theater. Someone who would wear a large mask. That mask represented their character. Whoever, whatever part they were playing, they would wear this mask, and then they would interpret from underneath the mask. And that's where the word hypocrite comes from. So today, it has this idea of somebody who says one thing but believes something else. They're, they're, in a sense, wearing a mask that does not represent who they actually are. My acting career is pretty limited. I was an angel in fifth grade in the Christmas play. That's about it. That's the extent of it. Unfortunately, my spiritual acting career is less limited. That there have been times when I put on that mask, that hypocritical godliness, to try to portray something that I'm not. Godliness is good. That is the pursuit of Christ. That is the walking in step with the Spirit. But hypocritical godliness is not. So those seeking the king must refuse the mask. We must refuse this temptation to at times put on a mask and portray something that in fact we are not. So I need to refuse to wear the mask of hypocritical godliness myself. In my own life, Herod was portraying spiritual piety, but he had ulterior motives. You might think, well, John, does this actually show up in the church? Yeah, it does. Let me ask you this morning, why are you here? Why are you in this room? Are you here because you truly want to seek the king, that you want to know the Savior, that you want to understand his will for your life, or do you have an ulterior motive like Herod did when he said, oh, I want to come and worship him too? Maybe you're here because a spouse is here and you want to keep him or her happy, so you're here. Maybe you're here because you want people to perceive something about you, that you are spiritual, that you are godly, that you are put together, that you love Jesus, but you know deep down inside 
you have been drifting from him. If that is you this morning, today is the day to repent of that and to take the mask off, the mask of hypocritical godliness, and pursue Jesus in sincere faith. I must refuse to wear the mask myself, but I must also refuse others who are wearing the mask of hypocritical godliness. The wise men are going to refuse Herod's request. They're not going to come back. Now, God's going to show up in verse 12, give them a dream and warn them, and they're going to be obedient to God and not go back to Herod and share with him what they found. But in a couple of chapters, Jesus is going to warn us, and he's going to say in Matthew 7, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's the mask. They're putting on this portrayal of innocence and this portrayal of, of, of spirituality, but the reality is they are out to, to, to seek harm in your life. Not every influencer should influence you. Not every author should teach you. Not every preacher should preach to you. This is not meant to be controlling in your life. It's just simply meant to be cautionary. That just because somebody shows up on your Instagram feed, just because somebody uh, shows up on your TikTok, doesn't necessarily mean that what they, what they have in mind for you is spiritually healthy. They may actually have spiritual harm in mind. So just be aware. Get with your people. Allow other people around you to help you to form and to understand who those voices should be in your life that are influencing you spiritually towards Christ. But I also should say that we need to be aware of the flip side too. And the flip side is when we turn into Jesus police. You know who those people are? They're on Facebook. They always show up on Facebook. I don't know what it is about Facebook. Right? They're the person that always wants to tell you everybody and everything that's wrong and why you should stay away from it. They want to point out. They want to point out everybody else. They want to point out everybody else's flaws. We don't want to turn into that either. Jesus is going to talk about that in a couple of weeks when he says you're trying to find the speck in somebody else's eye and you got a whole log in your own eye. But we need to be cautiously aware of people around us that may not actually intend to be helping us spiritually but may actually mean spiritual harm we want to refuse as we seek the king. That means that we protect ourselves from people who may portray spiritual health but mean spiritual harm. When I am seeking the king, what does this look like in my life? When I am seeking the king, first of all, I recognize divine signposts when God's trying to get my attention. Number two, I refuse hypocritical godliness. And then number three, when I am seeking the king, I respond with wholehearted devotion wholehearted devotion. I want you to see it in verse 9. The wise men, after listening to King Herod, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now this star is more than just an astrological phenomenon. Some people have tried to pinpoint some alignment of planets or some comet that was shooting back in the first century that maybe this could have been. But as I read this text in verse 9, I see that not only is this star moving, but this star is also stopping. It's stopping right over the place. So you've heard, you've heard of find my phone. This is find my Jesus. Like God is going to ping the spot. And if you'll just follow that star, it's going to stop right when you get to the place where you need to be. 
And the skeptic would say, John, that sounds kind of impossible. That's only as impossible as a teenage girl becoming pregnant with the Messiah. God does impossible things. And then finally, after a long journey from the far east, they arrive. And when they arrive, they find the king. Look at verse 11. Imagine this scene. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. There are three gifts, but that doesn't mean there were only three wise men. This was most likely an entire entourage. It would have gotten quite a bit of attention to see this group coming into the small town of Bethlehem. Now, I'm about to ruin some of your Christmas stories because your Costco nativity scene is wrong. There are no shepherds. They've already gone home. There is no manger because this is not a baby in a manger. This is a child in a house. And all you have to do is follow the timeline. They're coming from the far east. They see this star. It takes them time. They didn't just get on a plane and hop over to Bethlehem. No, they got on a camel. And they started that long journey from the far east. And then they get to Jerusalem. They don't even get to Bethlehem first. They get to Jerusalem and they have a conversation with Herod that leads to a conversation with the religious leaders that comes back to another conversation with Herod that now leads them to Bethlehem. So now they have to travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Jesus at this time in the story was most likely several months old when this group of wise men show up at his front door and their response Their response is the only appropriate response when you come into the presence of the king. What do they do? They fall down to worship him. The word worship in the original language speaks of prostrating oneself, just to lay oneself out on the floor before this king, just in complete and total abandonment. And then they take these treasures, they open their treasures, and they offer him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And some try to attach spiritual significance to these, like his royalty and his divinity and his death and burial. But really, these would have just been very, very appropriate, expensive gifts to bring to a king. And understand that Mary and Joseph did not have very many means. They they were not very wealthy. And so in the next paragraph, God is going to send them down into Egypt. And so it's quite likely that these are the gifts that finance that trip down into Egypt. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then in verse 12, they're warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And they departed to their own country by another way. Those who seek the king must seek him with everything. It is a wholehearted devotion. What in your life is off limits to God? What in your life? You say, God, you can have all of these things, but you can't have this one thing. What is that? You might not even be willing to admit that to people closest to you, but you know what it is. What is that one thing that is off limits? What is that one thing that is keeping you from wholehearted devotion to God. Today is the day to surrender that. Today is the day to say, God, this is not about me giving you most or giving you some, but about me giving you all. Those who seek the king must seek him with everything. This wholehearted devotion is going to cost. I'm afraid that Christianity in the West has become too easy and it's become too cheap. 
We're looking for something that's convenient. We're looking for something that's quick. We're looking for something that doesn't cost us very much. But here they are opening their treasures and laying before this king the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. The word offered is the same word. When they offered these gifts, it's the same word that would be used of a priest bringing his sacrifice to the altar. Wholehearted devotion will cost you. It will cost you your, your indulgence with sin. As you lay that aside and pursue the king, it will cost you any relationships that are hindering your walk with him. It will cost you your time and your resources that were previously being given to other things. It will cost you your own convenience and your own schedule and your own calendar and all the stuff that you've got to get done. What it's going to cost you is your kingdom to pursue his kingdom. It will cost you. But the king is worthy of wholehearted devotion. And we can offer our whole heart to the king because the king offered his whole life for us. Understand the gospel this morning is that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. God was willing to give his son. God gave God to lay down his life and to offer up his life as the substitutionary sacrifice for us on our part because nothing that we could do could ever merit or earn the forgiveness of our sin. God gave his son so that by faith in Jesus, we could be brought into a relationship with God. He gave it all for us, which is what informs and motivates my worship to give my all for him. This is not a God who is asking everything from us and just trying to keep it all for himself. No, he gave it all so that we can now come and offer to him with wholehearted devotion and wholehearted worship. Don't allow, don't allow anything in your life to keep you from this expression of worship. Give him your all. Let him have your everything. Those who seek the king do not respond to him with apathy, indifference, or half-hearted worship, but instead, like the psalmist, they say, with my whole heart have I sought you. So this morning, while God may appear in your life to be hidden, I can assure you that he is not hiding. He may appear to be out of sight. Maybe you can't quite locate what he's doing, but that does not mean that he is strategically trying to find that that hiding place in your life that you'll never discover. He is not strategically trying to keep himself from you. It's amazing that in spite of all of Israel's failures to the covenant and all of their rejection of the prophets, God would still come to them through Jeremiah and say to them in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You and I have a strategic advantage. And our advantage is that the king wants to be found. He wants to be found. He wants to be discovered. He wants to be known. He wants to be near to you in your life. And so seek him. Seek him. Recognize the divine signpost when he's shooting up the flare, trying to get your attention. Refuse the hypocritical godliness, both in yourself and in others who may be trying to deceive you and pull you away from that relationship with the king. And then respond with wholehearted devotion because nothing else will do. Nothing else is fitting for a king other than to lay yourself before him and to offer to him the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And so as we this morning 
desire for the Spirit of God to help us to learn from this text and to make application from this text. Here's how we want to learn to live. I want to give you three statements this morning. And I'm going to give them to you all at once. Here they are. Believe the King, seek the King, and share the King. Believe the King. At some point, these wise men had to believe that this star was pointing to this king. You don't travel the distance. You don't, you don't leave all of that behind and take that journey and bring those gifts and spend that price to get to the king if you don't believe in the king that he's there. If you don't believe that he is drawing you to himself. So the first step in our lives is to believe the king. Friend, have you believed the king? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that he laid down his life so that you could have new life in him? Believe him today. Trust him today. How many other kings were born at this time, but yet this was the king that these wise men sought after? Believe the king. And then secondly, seek the king. Seek the king. You have this advantage. He wants to be found. And don't stop seeking him. Don't seek him just for a day or a week or a season, but continue to seek him. And as you seek him, you will find him. And as you find him, you will, you will live in his kingdom and in his will for your life. If anything this morning is inhibiting you, surrender. Lay it down and trust in him. Believe the king, seek the king, and then thirdly, share the king. Because we are now ambassadors of this kingdom. We are now ambassadors that have received the truth of Christ and now we are called to go and to live our lives sent and to live in such a way that the people that we rub shoulders with and come in contact with this week will hear and see and learn through our lives of this king. Believe him, seek him, and share him. Because those who seek the king find the king. Can we pray together? Father, we are grateful for your word and for its truth. We thank you for this story of these wise men who followed that star and traveled to Bethlehem. And when they entered that home where that young child was, they responded in the only way appropriate and fitting for a king. They bowed before you. And they worshiped you. And they offered sacrificially these costly gifts. Father, may we live our lives in such a way that is a reflection of that. May we seek you and find you and worship you and then tell others about you. God, if there's one here this morning that has not yet believed the King, I pray that today they'd stop running, that they'd stop hiding, that they'd stop trying other things, that they'd stop trusting in themselves and that they would come to you and believe by faith that you are the King and the Messiah and the Savior of the world. For those of us who've put faith in you, may we never stop seeking because when we seek, we will find. Maybe it's time to get back into your word. Maybe it's time to spend some time on our knees. Maybe it's time to get with those people who know us so well and to, to allow them to speak into our lives so that we can recognize what you're doing and where you're leading in our lives. And so have your will and have your way and be the king and the Lord of our lives. And we'll trust you for all that you do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. 
To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.